So uh, last week, I told you guys we were heading out, Brody and I were headed out uh, really, really quickly after the service. And um, we went to, Brody was invited to go to Nashville and shadow probably uh, the, not probably, the greatest legendary bass player of, I would say, maybe all time in Nashville for the day. Uh, For the last 40 years, if there's been a hit out of Nashville, this man has played on that album. And so we get there and um, he invites Brody in and is showing him all kinds of things. And he, within an hour, is handing Brody guitars from the 60s. Uh, These guys, these guitars have been making hits for literally four decades. If you can think about a country song that you know and love, this guitar was probably on it, right? And so um, I was just fascinated by him giving it to them. And it reminded me of this text that we're in. I'll tell you why here in a second. But I, I, I thought about how crazy it would be for if Brody's playing that guitar in this moment where they're getting ready to record another song uh, and him would be like, actually, I'm gonna use that guitar on this song and reaches out for it. And Brody say, no, this is mine now. This is, I'm, I'm taking this with me, thank you, right? I mean, could you imagine almost the, the audacity that it would take to literally just, literally look someone in the eye after they've given you something to use for a second, for a minute, for a time, and say, no, this is for me and forever, you will never have this back. And in the same way, I, th- I think we've talked about this often, where we believe, uh, if, if you believe uh, Scripture, everything that we have comes from God. And yet somehow in humanity, in our humanity and selfishness and pride and ambition and all the things, we often find ways to take what God has given us and say, no, this is, this is mine now. I'll, I'll let you protect it for me. I'll let you feed it to me. I will let you continue to give me these things. But, but what you have given me is mine. And so our passage today, if you remember from last week, we were in 1 Chronicles chapter 29. David is in a unique scenario where he has been planning to build the temple of God uh, for years. He, he has amassed incredible materials for the building of the temple, and yet he will not be able to build the temple himself. God has said, you will not do it, your son will do it. And for him to do it, he has to be made king and not you. So David steps off the throne, hands the throne to his son Solomon, and the blueprints to the temple that David will never step inside of. Do you remember this? And it begins to bless the Lord. He David doesn't use this scenario to say, man, I've given so much. Why, why don't you give me this opportunity? God, I want to do this for you. I want to do this. This is my dream, all the things. He doesn't take the opportunity to question God why it's different than what he always suspected. Instead, he takes this opportunity to bless the Lord, his name, his power, his authority over all things. And then he shifts his prayer. And this is the last address that King David will make to the nation of Israel. This is the last words that he speaks publicly that we have recorded. And instead of of asking questions and all the things, he blesses the Lord. And then he turns his prayer to this massive prayer of Israel. And so if you would read with me in 1 Chronicles chapter 29, and we'll start in verse 14. This is after the blessing. David says it this way. He says, but who am I and who are my people that we should be able to offer as generously as this? For all things have come from you and from your hand we have given you. 
We're just sojourners before you and tenants as our fathers were. On the day, our days on the earth are like a shadow and there's no hope. Oh Lord God, all this abundance that we have provided to build you a house for your holy name, it's from your hand. And everything is yours. Since I know, oh my God, that you, are, that you try the heart and delight in uprighteousness, I, in the integrity of my heart, have willingly offered all of these things. So now with joy, I've seen your people who are present here. They make their offerings willingly to you. Oh Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers, preserve this forever in the intentions of the heart of your people and direct their heart to you. And to give my son Solomon this perfect heart to keep commandments, your testimonies and your statues, and to do them all, to build the temple, which I've made provision. And then David said to all the assembly, verse 20, now bless the Lord your God. And all the assembly blessed the Lord, the God of their fathers, and bowed low and did homage to the Lord and to the king. So I, I want to point you back to the first uh, verse of that passage where David, I think, has this incredible perspective where he says these words, who am I and who are my people that we should offer as generously as this? It's an incredible statement. And I think this is what I want to push our minds to is this, is that proper perspective on the Lord's goodness fuels obedience and surrender. Proper perspective on the Lord's goodness fuels obedience, and surrender. I think in the moment we could read the passage in reference to maybe monetary gifts only. But that's not the case. Uh, we see this underlined in scripture here for sure, uh, but nothing is absence of God's provision. Everything comes from him. So it isn't a sacrifice, it's surrender. So David's talking about the talent and the time here as well. Like the people of Israel in the desert building uh, the temple would also take this great amount of time and talent and surrender. In fact, scripture tells us that this would be a seven-year process for the people of Israel. Notice 1 Kings chapter 6. He says this, Now it came about in 480th year after the sons of Israel came out of the land of Egypt. So 480 years after they left Egypt. In the fourth year of Solomon's reign over Israel, in the month of Ziv, this is, that is the second month, that he began to build the house of the Lord. Verse 7. And this house, while it was being built, was built of stone, finished at the quarry. Neither hammer nor axe nor iron tool was heard in the house while it was being built. So they literally built it away from the temple site because they didn't even want the sound of a tool present. Now think about, think about the sacrifice and think about the, the effort that would go forth to make that, just that detail happen. Listen, we don't want to desecrate this site with even a hammer. So we're going to build everything there and we're going to transport it here, put it together quietly and carefully. And then he says this in verse 37, and in the fourth year, the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid in the month of Ziv. And in the 11th year, the month of Bull, that is the eighth month that the house was finished in all of its parts in accordance with all of its plans. So he was seven years in building it. 
I mean, this would be this massive seven-year surrender to take on the temple of building it. It wasn't just being built uh, to be finished. Every single element of this project was sacred. It was an act of worship. Even the fact that they didn't want a sound of a hammer to desecrate the sound of the temple. And all of this, David says, who are we that we would be able to give any of this to you? Who are we that we would be able to give any of this to you? David says, your majesty deserves more than we could ever give. Everything that we have from you is yours anyway. We can't give enough. We have nothing to give, and yet you allow us to worship you in this way. I think this is a point of swimming upstream in our culture, isn't it? If we believe that we've been entitled to anything, our perspective changes. Our our willingness to obey when it's difficult changes. Our willingness to surrender changes. Our perspective becomes skewed. And it's what Satan tempted Adam and Eve with in the garden. The, the, the temptation was not simply a snack. right? The, the temptation was to believe that they deserved to be like God. The temptation was, you're entitled to be like God. Just take it. And so what happens is, is when when we believe that we're entitled to anything, our perspective begins to shift and change. But I think also when we take this humble posture like David has, who are we? Who are we that we could do anything for you? I want you to think about the life of David for a second. The heroic life of David. I mean, think all the way back to the story that we all know, David and Goliath. We, we think about David being anointed as king and then running for his life for years. Faithful obedience in the same direction. Refusing to take the life of Saul when, when the nation of Israel seemingly would be better off without him. David ran after the enemies of Israel He honored the Lord for most of his life. Even God saying, this is a man after my own heart. I think David maintained this perspective, even as king of Israel. God, who am I that you would would use anything that I have? Everything that I have literally has come from your hand. I've held it for a minute and then you've asked for it back. And for some reason and in some way, you Look at that as an offering of worship when I pass it from your hand back to your hand. Like a little child whose father says, hold this hammer for a second. And then they hand it back to you thinking that they had anything to do with the construction of the project. He says, God, who am I that you would allow something to pass through my hands and then receive it as an act of worship? See, it's this perspective, I think, of the Lord as creator and king that pushes our minds into this place of obedience and surrender. And I believe that it may be that in order to pursue these commitments and community in this way, to offer our commitment uh, to Christ as an act of worship, we'll have to force our minds into proper perspective. Who am I that I'm able to give God anything? Who am I that I'm able to understand his commands? Who am I that the Lord allows me to be in community with others? Al Al, uh, Warden uh, was the command module pilot of the 1971 
Apollo 15 moon mission. And he has the strange honor of being what uh, some would call the most isolated human in history. So during his orbits of the moon, uh, with his teammates over uh, 2,200 miles away on the lunar surface, uh, Warden would uh, very much be all by himself. He was literally uh, 2,200 miles, 2,200 miles away from the next living creature. Human, maybe, you know. Depending on your belief, Scripture doesn't speak to that, So Warden says, I got to look at the universe out there with a very different perspective, a very different way than anyone had before and maybe since has. What I found was that there's a number of stars that were so immense. In fact, I couldn't pick up individual stars. It was more like a sheet of light. I found that fascinating because it changed my ideas about how I think about the universe there are billions of stars out there. The Milky Way galaxy uh, where we're in contains billions of stars, not just a few. And there are billions of galaxies out there. So what does that tell you about the universe? That tells you uh, that we just don't think of it as big enough and we don't think of ourselves as small enough. I wonder, when's the last time that you, that you fought to place yourself in a proper perspective? Not in a self-loathing type of mindset, not in a, man, I'm just an ant, you know, but in proper perspective, the proper perspective that we look at the the magnificence of creation. We say, who am I that the Lord would allow me to worship him? We might not be able to go behind the moon, maybe, maybe but we can stop and stare at it. We can look at human life and at the complexity of it. We can watch the rain fall differently or the sun come over the horizon and place ourselves in the midst of this massive creation and reach for the perspective that David has here that he says, who am I? David would write about this also in Psalm chapter eight. He says, Lord, uh, how majestic is the name in all of the earth. You've set your glory in the heavens. And though the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies. The silence, the foe, and the avenger. And when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which I've set in place, what is mankind that you're mindful of them? human beings that you care for them. I I think David was successful and king in these places where he maintained and fought for this perspective. Who am I, God, that you would do anything through me? The second uh, point I want to push today is this, that, that a proper perspective of the name of God fuels commitment to the mission of God. Proper perspective of the name of God fuels commitment to the mission of God. Notice what he says in verse 16. He says, Lord, our God, all of this abundance that we have provided to build you a house for your holy name. It's from your hand and all is yours. So so David declares the mission of this is, is not to make this tabernacle and this temple and this monument to the power and the might of Israel. Rather, he says, God, this temple is for you. It's for your glory. It's for your name. 
I love this aspect of the prayer. I think there would be many people throughout many years that would improperly look at the temple and misdirect the meaning and the purpose of it. Many would pass by and and they would look at the awe and and size of materials. They would talk about how great Solomon was and his designers and architects of the temple. Uh, It it wasn't, he isn't building a temple so that other nations would fear their power. Uh, I don't see an ounce of this self-service in David's words here. They're humble and true. He says this, we've built a house. We've built a temple for your holy name. It's, and that's the mission. That's the purpose. I think we, we all have people in our lives that maybe take up causes. Maybe you've uh, been approached by someone, if you're walking, maybe more downtown with like a, a petition or something like that. Ed was telling me the other day, we don't get people like that out at the farm. They just, you know, nobody walks that far. Um, but Ed, Ed was telling me the other day, somebody came to his door, knocked on there and, and asked this petition. He could probably explain it to you better. Uh, basically a, a petition against anything, any developments in, in Rollsville. They're like, we just don't want anything happening here. It's like, no restaurants? I'd love some restaurants. You know, she was very passionate about like, no, nothing. It has to stay the way that it is right now. And she gave up a Saturday to do this, right? If you're here today, I, I applaud your, your passion and energy, right? I do would like some restaurants. I would love some restaurants. You've probably seen a person or have a person in your life like that that you think, man, they're giving up a lot for this cause, whatever it is. Maybe it's a politician and they campaign, they stand on the sidewalk on, on election day and they're asking you, hey, do you know who you're going to vote for or whatever? And you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe they stand there and they, they, they ask you to some questions or whatever it was. Maybe they, they have a petition against something or for something. And I don't know if you've ever been like me. You, you think to yourself, you must really care about this thing. I think in, in David's words, he's saying, I will do everything and anything to lift up the name of, of Yahweh. And that's what this temple is for. So for seven years, we'll choose to build it off-site. We'll, we'll form every stone at the quarry. We'll make it there. We'll, we'll do everything. We'll surrender everything because his name is that important. His name is that great. David understands the importance of the mission of God, that the house of God would point people to his name and the people would pass by and say, what kind of God deserves this kind of glory, this kind of temple who's served by people like this? And in the same way, Christ has has said that the magnificence of the church, the temple that we build together will point to his name and his glory. Do you remember these words from Jesus? It's something that we've often uh, looked at throughout the series. In John chapter 17, verse 20, Jesus' prayer. We don't have very many of them recorded, but this one we do. It says this, I'm not asking on behalf of these alone, but for those who believe in me through their word, that they may be one, unified, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. Watch this, that they may also be in us for the reason, so the world may believe that you sent me. Jesus' prayer is that we would build a temple together, the church, the body of Christ, in a way that elevates his name so high that the world looks on and says, what kind of God loves us like that? That's what we're building 
together, a community of believers that says, we want to be a part of a body of Christ so unified in who he is and his name over everything that the rest of the world looks at it with awe. He says, they'll know that that the Father sent him because of the way that we love each other. In verse 17, back in 1 Chronicles, he says this, Since I know that, my God, that you try the heart and delight in the uprightness, I and the integrity of my heart have willingly offered all of these things. So now with joy I have seen your people who are present here make their offerings willingly to you. Here's what I want to push. God is honored by righteous intentions of the heart. God is honored by righteous intentions of the heart. Now, I put the word righteous in there very carefully because I think we can dishonor God with with intentions. Even with good intentions, we can dishonor God. But with righteous intentions, we honor the Lord. David invites and invokes the Lord to search him here. It would be a prayer that he would pray again. God, search me, know me, try me, see if there's anything impure in me. But God is honored by the righteous intentions of the heart. So here's one of the things that we wanted to to push in today is that commitment is different than perfection. So when we talk through these membership commitments, what we know is we will all fail. We will all fall short. We will all not meet the mark in most circumstances. Maybe uh, we will often find ourselves short of those. But the righteous intentions of the heart to say, but this is my pursuit. This is what I'm committed to. This is what I'm chasing down. I think honors the Lord. He knows our heart. He knows our ways. He knows the things that are deep inside. And so when we say, God, I'm not perfect at this. In fact, most times I'm a little selfish when it comes to others. I think to myself, what have they done for me? Who has talked to me? What have they uh, like, uh, brought up for me? All those things. I, I know that it's going to take a struggle for me to turn my arrows out instead of expect the arrows in. But this is something that I'm committed to do. I'm committed to to, uh, chasing after community so that I can have in my life accountability. Understand submission is difficult for everybody. And and Lord, I I have trouble with this. I I didn't have good authority figures in my life. Maybe they abused authority. Maybe they were very difficult to, to submit to. Maybe even the things that they asked me to submit to or forced me to submit to weren't even good. And so this idea of submitting to the leadership of pastors and elders here, that's very, very difficult. And there's gonna be times where I struggle with that, but I'm committed to it. God, there's people in here or maybe other people in the church that have hurt me or, or, or have said other things, and I, I want to retaliate with my words. It's hard for me to hold those things in, but I'm committed to it because you've asked us to. I might fail, and I might have to apologize, but I'm committed to it. All of these things, we, we've not asked for perfection. We've asked for commitment. And I think God honors our heart in that. Lastly, and I love where he ends here. 
God is able to take our feeble acts of surrender and shape our hearts for him. God is able to take our, our feeble hearts of surrender, acts of surrender, and shape our hearts for him. Notice what David says as he ends his prayer here in verse 18. He says, O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers, preserve this forever in the intentions of the heart of your people and direct their hearts to you. Whatever they've given, whatever they've come here with, whatever they have uh, sacrificed or surrendered, maybe it's their time and talent in building the temple, seven years of carrying materials from the quarry back to uh, the site of the temple. I mean, I can imagine doing that with a two by four, right? Like when, when I'm building something at the farm, I want it right there in my tape measure right there. I want to know exactly how to cut, where to cut. And then I put it and it's always just a little bit wrong. So we got to cut it again. Can you imagine bringing these massive stones of the foundation set from the quarry to the site of the temple and saying, oh, we're a little bit off. Sure, we can't chisel this down here. Let's go back to the quarry. I mean, this, this massive undertaking, this massive surrender to say your name is so great that we're willing to do this. And these feeble acts of obedience, God is able to shape our hearts. And David prays this. He says, God, would you preserve this process, our worship in this forever? And would you move whatever we're able to give to change and shape our hearts for you? That's an incredible prayer. That he would say, whatever we have to give, though we're not worthy to give anything, what we do give, even though feeble, would you use it to change and shape our hearts? Everything points back to him. Isn't it incredible that we see so little as much when God is in it? You see this You see this happen with the fish and the loaves. Hey, who has lunch? And God takes this feeble gift of this little boy and he provides for thousands. This is what he does. This is what he loves to do, is take a little bit and multiply it. So today we have the opportunity to, to worship in this way, to say, Lord, I, I, I've prayed through this. I have sought your hand and your, uh, your spirit in this. And this is how I feel you are moving and shaping me. We do that, of course, because he has given us life. 